On today's episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness, head coach and author Mark Ash talks about his book, Rise of the Warriors. There are so many great takeaways from this book, but he speaks to eight attributes he believes will make you a better person and leader. We can't wait to get started. Get your notepad out. So here we go. All right. Welcome to another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis. We have a special guest with us today, Coach Mark Esch, uh, author, husband, father, teacher, uh, you name it. He's a champion in everything that he does. He's got a book called Rise of the Warriors. We're going to spend some time talking through that today. Uh, Coach Mathis, how are you today? Doing well. A little windy down here in uh, Osceola, but, uh, you know, the, the sun's trying to peak out, so it uh, could be a lot worse. Amen to that. Coach Ash, thanks again for joining us. How are you today? Yeah, doing great. Doing great. Same weather up here in Minnesota. A little windy, but the sun's out. Yeah, we are blessed for that. It's a little cooler today, but uh, we are going to be talking uh, some very important things about the book that you wrote, uh, personal to you, your experiences. Uh, so let's start there, Coach. Uh, would you mind just giving us a brief overview of how you got to the position you're in, and then we'll jump into the book. You know, as we kind of dovetail through that conversation. Well, yeah. Currently, uh, I was just received a, an offer to be the head football coach at Minnetonka High School, which uh, is one of the larger schools in the state of Minnesota. It's in the top three. So a new experience for me. Um, but, uh, like everybody else dealing with the, uh, stay at home orders and it's, it's tough not to be in touch with our, our players for sure. And, uh, facing a little culture change myself, which I know we're going to talk about here later on, just to give you a brief, uh, background on my coaching experience. I graduated from the university of Wisconsin lacrosse, uh, got a job teaching and coaching at white bear Lake high school, Minnesota. From there, did a graduate assistantship at the university of South Dakota, uh, and then I joined Austin uh, High School staff in Austin, Minnesota, not Austin, Texas. This was Spamtown, USA, uh, home of Hormel, and uh, spent three years there as an offensive line coach, and then got a head coaching job at Mankato West High School for 11 seasons. Uh, was fortunate enough to have some great kids that worked their tails off. The culture was awesome. Won a couple of state championships there, and took a year off from coaching. Uh, and then went to uh, moved up to the Twin Cities Metro with my wife and three daughters and uh, spent a year as an offensive coordinator at Prior Lake High School, went to Minnetonka High School as an assistant, and then currently just took over as the head football coach at Minnetonka High School. So been blessed. Yeah, you have a, a really cool story um, and you wrote a really challenging book. I've got through it and I've I know we're going to talk a little bit about the attributes, but the book of Rise of the Warriors, I got it right here, and I've got my notes in it. Uh, talk about your your desire to write that. You, you, when you and I talked on the phone last week, you, you just said you kept talking about it, talking about it, and your wife's like, get going already. So would you talk us into that journey a little bit? Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it absolutely worked out that way. You know, it, the culture was so negative when I was there. I call it a, a toxic male culture. And that's what it was. It was drinking, smoking, fighting, womanizing, you name it. Um, you know, everything short of killing one another was taking place 
in Caledonia at that point. And it, it was rough. And I, I remember looking at Carl Frickie, one of the main people I write about in the book at, at one point before we released it. And I'm like, was I wrong about that? And he's like, no, no, it was a tough place to grow up. And when I left, uh, Carl Frickie took over the program and, uh, just, you know, slowly started to build it up over the years. It took about a decade of struggle. And I was sharing that with you the other day, Tim, uh, it didn't just, flip a switch and it happened. That's not the way. There's a lot of struggles along the way and you're going to have to read about those in the book. I won't get into a lot of them, but hit about that decade mark and things started to really take off. Got to a championship game, but lost that year and then came back the next, you know, it's won 11 of the last 14 state championships, uh, 68 game win streak. So what, what I was noticing, however, yeah, the wins, right? That's, that's pretty amazing in and of itself, but this little town of 3,000 people produced two Navy SEALs, two NFL football players, another high-level military guy that we can't even talk about what he does because we don't quite know, so that tells you something. But not only that, but champion fathers and, and uh, you know people in the community that are now in their 20s and 30s that played in the program. And that's what stood out to me, and I just kept saying, this is amazing. This is an amazing turnaround, an amazing story. I said it one too many times to my wife, and she just – uh, said, Mark, you just got to write this and stop talking about it. So blessed to have a wife who tells it like it is. That's the way I like to be talked to. <laughs> she does not all the time, however. I've learned that. But um, it, that's kind of how we've arrived at at uh, the point that we're at right now. So it's it's been an interesting journey to put it all on from pen to paper. Yeah, I, I think I think the thing that really stuck out to me as I was as I was reading the book and looking through the attributes, which to me I think are probably the most important part of the book, it, um, as as I was going, and I don't mean to downplay anything else because the story is amazing. Uh, but how did you come to the attributes? What were obviously you've had a lot of experience. You've been around some really amazing people in your coaching career. Talk about the attributes that you came up with and how you got to that. And I know this is a long question, but maybe how you implement some of that into the coaching that you do now. Right. Well, you know, I think for me, the attributes are years of observation on Caledonia football. And so when I left uh, the high school, I actually started to become pretty good friends with current head coach Carl Frickty. You know, we would ha- even hang out. I mean, he's 10 years older than I am, but, you know, we'd still hang out. We're friends. We're still good friends today. I call him a mentor. He would shy away from me calling him that. Um, I think. All this stuff has come from observation of the Keldoni football program and then being a, around other people who have been successful. Um, you know, we have a mutual friend, Joe Hadachek, watching a guy like that, watching other programs that are successful, and then just uh, watching things that uh, make people successful in life, no doubt. And just, you know, narrowing it down to these few attributes, which I kind of throw two into one sometimes and, 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 you know, I, I, I didn't want to make it such a long list, but there's more than than what we can write about. So, uh, you know, just being around and observing success, I think, is the number one way I, they, they've they surfaced in the book. So the first attribute is know why you're here. How do you how do you partake that to your players? That's a great question. So I just think. I truly believe that if a team or a person, see, I think this applies to an individual or a business or a team, anyone, 
if you truly know why you're doing what you're doing, your level of concern, maybe that's not the right word, but your level of commitment, maybe it's a variety of things, just goes through the roof. So, you know, when you ask a Caledonia player why they do what they do, it's because coach wants to teach us how to be better, stronger men and good husbands and good fathers. That's why they do what they do. It's not to win a state championship necessarily. And I think that transcends so many things that you can talk about, including relationships, which is the most important piece, I think, of, of any leader is building relationships. It should be about 95% of what we do. And so when, when guys know that they care, they're going to run through a wall for you because they know you'll run through a wall for them. And I tried to instill those same uh, character traits and attributes and those feelings at uh, Mankato West High School. I hope to do it again here at Minnetonka High School. And I think that's the reason that's number one is because that drives everything else and it's multivaried. There's so many pieces to it. You ask so many programs, you know, across the, the nation, well, well, why are you here to win a state championship? That's just, that's just something. It's just, it, it doesn't pull at the heartstrings. So to, to have a purpose to teach young men to be tougher and stronger and better husbands, better fathers, better community members, that's something deeper. And I think people really rally around that. So coaches, we kind of dive deeper into these attributes here. You know, your second one here, you will quit before we do. We guarantee it. You're going to be relentless. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit more about that and the ways that you instill that into your players? Yeah, I, and I smiled at that one uh, because I, I worded it worded it that way specifically. Because if if you ever go watch a Kelowna football game, or hopefully a team that I coach or you guys coach, or I think where all this started was in the weight room in Caledonia, um, you just you feel that that attitude is palpable. There is zero quit in these young men, and you you almost don't know where it comes from but it comes from a very specific place, which is back to attribute number one. I think when, when people know what they're doing and they know that a coach cares about them and he's built a relationship and then he talks about it, talks about being relentless. There's one thing, one thing people put, put these things up on their, on their whiteboard or on their wall in their locker room or their team meeting room. And if they just sit there, they don't mean a flip. They don't mean anything. Uh, they have to be talked about. And I think that's a recurring theme. And Tim, I think you'll agree. Uh, I hammer that home in the book. You have to teach it. You have to share stories about being relentless. You have to share stories about not quitting. You have to share personal stories. I like to share stories in my life of where I use this stuff uh, of, of not quitting. I had a major setback and I fought back and and, it, and I became a better person about it. Kids love to hear those personal stories, whether it's about you, number one, other coaches on your staff, number two, or number three, you know, other people that they might know, other players, coaches, uh, famous people, what, what have you. And just sharing those stories and just grinding that attitude into their minds. I don't want to use the word brainwash, but it's almost like you're just teaching, teaching the kids that quitting is unacceptable. You're going to be relentless no matter what. And anything else besides those attributes is simply not accepted on this team or in, or in life. So 
to answer your question, Dwayne, I think it's a multivaried approach again, once again, and you just have to hammer it in. You have to share the stories and you have to know why you're here. That's how you develop the will. How do you, how did you get the, you know, I'm sure you had some kids that just immediately bought in, right. That were all in what you were, what you were preaching, but I'm sure there were some kids that you had to bring up to that level. So how, how did you go about doing that? With That's those a great kids? question. That's a great question. So I had this question today, actually on an earlier podcast. And I think the, the number one thing you do, if you guys have read the book by Urban Meyer above the line, uh, he talks about the top 10%, the middle 80% and the bottom 10%. I think you have to invest in your top 10% and that number is going to grow and they have to be the leaders on your team. And ideally they're your best football players. We're talking specifically about football here and you have to invest in that top 10% and there's no way around it. You got to start to experience some success. I mean, for, for me at Mankato West was my first year. We were one and two. This is 2006. We were one and two. We were playing Rochester Mayo, which at the time was like Mankato West High School didn't compete with any Rochester schools. And they were like the hands down favorite. They were going to destroy everybody. We get them on a muddy field. All week we're preaching, why not us? And we pull off an upset by 16 points. We didn't just win. We won, you know, fairly handily. And now that 10% grew to 12, 15%. And you just got to really focus on that. And once again, building those qualities that you want in your team and emphasizing them through constant stories, constantly holding kids accountable. Tim and I talked about this the other day on the phone. Once you have the relationship, then you got to hold them accountable. They're not going to get by. Kids will try to get by with whatever they can. They're just like your kids at home. They're going to kind of push the envelope until they see where you're going to hold the line. And you don't need to be a drill sergeant. But if you have the relationship and you set the expectations, I think that's where this all comes from, Dwayne, to answer your question. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you, Coach. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and then that's, you know, you talk about being relentless, but you have to learn how to do that, particularly at a young age, right, Coach? So that's that's how you get to number three, right? Do hard things, get uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Be uncommon. Um, and, and I think – you can start to instill this in your program. And I think one key point in all of this is you look at a school like Caledonia High School, who's featured in the book, what we did at Mankato West High School, and we had some great runs. Or I'm sure if you go even to, you know, talk to other great coaches in, in the state of Iowa, they'll tell, the, tell you the same thing. The top end performers are, are rare. You know, we had one D1 player in 11 years. Philip Nelson, who played for the Gophers for a while as quarterback. But most of our success and Caledonia's success comes from making average players pretty good football players, pretty good high school football players. We don't live in Texas where we got 28 guys that are D1 scholarships. You can't even start them all, right? We live in in Minnesota, and you're going to have a lot of D3 players or maybe some kids that might not even be able to play D3 football but can be good high school football players. So I think that development is critical. I think that's an underlying theme in here. So once you focus in on your 10 percenters and that starts to grow and they start to see uh, success start to grow. And, you know, I'm starting at square one. Minnetonka High School was 0-9 last year. So I'm starting at square one. We got got to see see these things grow. So we got to teach them that it's – if 
you got to do hard things to get better. Here's why we're doing Once again, going back to the other attributes, here's why we're doing it. We're not going to quit and doing hard things is going to make us surrendering in a, in a close game so much harder. Us giving up in the fourth quarter when we're down by seven points and it's, it's 14 to seven and it seems like we can't move the ball on this team. Are we going to pack it in or is all that hard work that we did going to start to pay off? I think getting uncomfortable is is something that a head coach has to model. And, you know, you can be successful without it. And one of the most successful coaches in the state of Minnesota, you know, it's not in great shape and that type of thing. I think you got to you got to practice what you pe- preach. You got to be a role model. You got to go out and and do things that other people are not doing. One way that I do that, and I hope this transfers over to my guys, get uncomfortable and do hard things. I started training jujitsu a couple of years ago. Shout out to Alliance Jiu-Jitsu in Edina if you're in the Twin Cities area. Um, you, you know, you got for your first six months of your jujitsu career, you got a guy laying on top of you that weighs more than you and you're sweaty and you can't move. You don't know what to do. You know, it, it's uncomfortable. And I think modeling that and, and doing the uncommon things. What does the world do? I'm sorry if I'm on a soapbox here a little bit, but um, just kind of preaching what, what I know Carl does and what I've had success with. What does the world do? Why do you want to do what everybody else does? Why do you want that to be your standard? Why do you want to watch all these TV shows and play all these games that everybody else is doing? Don't you want to do something different that's going to set you apart? And just constantly sharing stories and talking about that, I think, is the key in modeling it, is the key to, uh, to, to making progress here. And just to wrap it up on this one, there's a great book. It's called Legacy. It's about the All Blacks. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. Wonderful book. That's where I got this. Is storytelling is one of the most powerful change agents um, to change a culture. So storytelling is critical. And I know I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself. But I think it's so important. It's one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for 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 sure. I, that's a book I've read three times. Mm. Um, the other book I've read three times uh, is *The Slight Edge* by Jeff Olson. Oh yeah. And, and we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about books you like to read uh, when we get closer closer to the end because that's a big part of what we do, Coach. I I, I want to dive off a little avenue, and and you and you kind of alluded to it. Uh, but doing things different than other people are doing in relation to football and hard work. Um, I think we probably all grew up in the area where it was, dude, you are busting it. You are working hard. You're, we did two a day, so you don't do that anymore. Uh, but you see a lot of trends toward, you know, the rest and the, you know, the short practices and, you know, just a quick workout, get in and out. Um, I have mixed feelings on that because I, you know, when you're asking someone to go both ways on a Friday night, you're not, you can't just show up and expect to do that because you're a competitive person. In my opinion, you've got to be hardened in the fire, if you will. And, you know, I, I'm a big you know, reader of the Bible. And to me, one of the, the things that's most uh, appropriate about that is Proverbs, you know, 27, 17, when they talk about iron sharpens iron, just as one man sharpens another. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, you've got to get through the fire together. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, has, has taken away two days and shortening workouts softened our kids up. Maybe, maybe I think we got to find to, to kind of go off of that, Tim, I think we got to find other ways to, make our kids tougher. 
I really do. So, you know, I can just take examples from Caledonia and Mankato West because those are the two I know the best is, you know, Carl and I being close friends, we were always going to the team camps. I think being in team camps creates a level of adversity for, for players. They're away from home for two nights and, you know, they got to eat what's put in front of them. They can't call mom. Well, they can call mommy, but she's not going to come rescue them, right? And, uh, and getting up early in the morning, being sore, working through that. And that still happens during the two-a-days. Like we have two and one, two and one during the fall camp. I don't know if you guys do that as well. No, none. We do two. We can do two-a-days one day, and then we have to go one session the next day. But I think that develops grit. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know like Carl opening up the weight room at 6.30. We had 6 a.m. workouts at Mankato West. And getting getting to that weight room with a group of brothers. Now you got to develop the culture that that does that, and find a couple of good leaders who are going to help you hold uh, people accountable for being there at six a.m. or six thirty. And I think we have to teach these kids what leadership is. It's not just um, when your teammate doesn't show up, say you're going to suck if you don't show. You know, n- not berating them, but leading them in a positive way. I think I think kids are pretty good at that once they once they catch on that you're you're not going to rip other people down. You're going to build them up and that's the way to lead, but finding other ways to do hard things. We would get to seven on seven tournaments. I know Carl goes to seven on seven tournaments and stays overnight, just kind of building that team unity. Um, so I think doing those difficult things in a, in a day and age where people are taking the easy road. I know people would rather collect unemployment than go back to work. I'm not in that boat right now with the coronavirus going on. Uh, send the send the unemployment back. I mean, we're not collecting it right now as teachers, but no way I'd want that. I, I'd rather go back to work. And so that's just kind of the culture that we're in. And if, if you're reading this book and you're a person that loves to be comfortable, that first page under attribute number three, first page or two is going to going to rip into you a little bit. So it's meant to be a wake up call and maybe look at things from a little different angle. So, Coach, when you look at attribute number four, humility, sacrifice, and service, you know how how do you get that a, a point across to your players in a, in a world where humility isn't really celebrated? Yeah. When you look at Sports Center highlights and uh, everything else that goes along in social media, whether it be uh, kids announcing, you know, their their top five of, of college choices and all that kind of stuff. So, how do you get that point across to to your players? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, last year I was a head coach was 2016. And I feel like just in four years, a lot of this has changed. Just seeing the kids on Twitter and, and uh, you know, announcing that they've they've signed to a Division three, which is all good, right? You know, but you're not signing any letter there. It's just, it's just for looks, right? Um, so, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I do think it's simple and I think a lot of times people lose uh, faith in the process as coaches that what we do can have, you know, a handful of foundational principles that if we don't lose faith in them and we just keep repeating it over time, it's going to produce fruit. What, what you, you sow, you reap what you sow, right? The seeds that you plant, they're eventually going to come back to you. So when it comes to humility and sacrifice, um, I think number one, it starts with the guy in charge and you have to, you have to have humility. And I think it's so easy just to have one or two or 
four slight slip-ups during a football season where you let humility go and it scars you. And I think one of the most important things, if there's coaches out there listening or leaders that are out there listening, if you want your people to be humble and you find yourself where you've made a mistake and maybe uh, have lacked humility or a mistake in any realm, you need to come back and you need to admit to it. And, you know, Tim, uh, to your point, the Bible says uh, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Well, how do you produce fruit? You keep with repentance. If you do something wrong and you don't need to broadcast it every time you screw up, right? But you know, we all know when we make a mistake and our team appreciates it. Our parents even appreciate it. If we can go in and say, you know what, guys, I was wrong. Story in 2007, um, my second year as head coach in Mankato, um, I got on a kid. We got a uh, 12 men on the field penalty for a punt return team. And I got on him. You know, I don't swear at kids, but I can get a little loud from time to time. And I think that's okay. I got a little loud with him. I've gotten calmer as I've gotten older. Maybe you guys have noticed that too. Um, but I chewed him, uh, uh, chewed his tail off. And you know what? I, I was the one that was wrong. So on Monday, I had to get, I decided I needed to get up in front of the team and apologize to my guys and specifically that kid. And uh, it's hard to do. But when you make those mistakes, you got to model it. That's, that's my point. You got to model it. You got to model sacrifice. You know, I got asked the question today on a podcast, how do you get your kids to the weight room? I think the last three years in Mankato, we had about 100% participation. Now, kids were sick and kids went on vacation, stuff like that, which I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. But how do we get kids there? Well, the head coach has to be there. I, they know I'm sacrificing. They know I have three daughters at home. And you guys know this. I'm preaching to the choir. Um, but you got to be there. You got to make the sacrifice. I see so many business leaders and leaders in our country right now who just aren't willing to, to sacrifice themselves for the better good or they make a mistake and they're not willing to admit it. I don't know how many times I've seen this president, a previous president or a, a leader in Congress screw up. And if they would just come out and say, you know what, guys, I made a mistake. I'm sorry about it. And, you know, it would just go away. They, they just don't seem to have this understanding of humility. And I think that's what we need in our country right now from the top down. And I think us as football coaches, other coaches and business leaders and leaders in our household, we need to be modeling this. How many times do I not want to go and humble myself to my wife because I know I made a mistake? That's probably the hardest one there is. And that's why the divorce rate is so high. But you got to do it. And so sacrifice and humility are key role modeling and, and just sharing stories once again, I think. Uh, I think that's a, a great point, Coach, in the sense of, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is sometimes people, uh, you know, associate weakness with the word love. Mm. You know, that it's a soft, it's a soft word mm. kind of deal. And, and I think uh, you modeling the fact that you're willing to stand up in front of your team and, and admit mistakes is is actually a show of strength, not weakness. So, I mean, that's a uh, kudos to you, Coach. Well, and I'm going to take that one step further. I, I love Tim Kite and Urban Meyer, their Focus 3 podcast. They get, they just put one out, and they were talking about humility. And um, I'm going to paraphrase here, so if they ever listen, I'm, you know, hopefully they don't get, get on me. But Urban Meyer was talking that he, he said to somebody about an attribute he looks for in a leader um, – 
was not humility because someone said, hey, we like hum humble people. And he said, no, that's not it. And Tim Kite gave him the kind of the Heisman and said, hold on, here's what I think of humility. And it's exactly what we're talking about. It's a, it's a strong ego versus a big ego. A strong ego says, I'm comfortable enough in my own skin to know that I've made a mistake. A big ego says it's someone else's fault. And a strong ego is also a sign of maturity. Uh, a big ego is a sign of immaturity. Uh, and leaders, I think oftentimes football guys have this big ego. And, and that's why we see kids struggle with, well, I, I messed up, so I'm not going to try anymore, is that they don't have the the strong ego to, to be comfortable with the mistakes. And I think that's one of the things we've got to foster as coaches. And that's a really hard thing to do is to get a kid out of his own way and go, dude, just grow, work, make mistakes. You know, we'll coach you through it. But getting a kid to understand it when you're coaching, coaching them, you want the best for him. You're not criticizing him, but that's a, that's a hard dichotomy to get through. Absolutely. You know, I think I shared this story with you the other day, Tim, we had one of our best players who was slacking off in the weight room. We have a strip of turf in our weight room, which is super nice by the way. Um, and Thanks for that. yeah, no problem. <laughs> it just got remodeled. Um, and we were doing some agility drills and he was, he was not giving his best effort. He was giving about 25%. And so I pulled him aside and I'm like, you will not play it down on this football team if, if you don't perform in drills and in the weight room. And I'm telling you this because I love you. If I, if I just let you do that, how am I helping you? And just to your point, Tim, you know, it's, 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 uh, there's a balance there and you have to hold kids accountable, have relationships. And he, he wasn't performing because he was afraid he was going to look bad. That's what it came down to. He was afraid he was going to look bad. And that's that, that negative ego. We got to modify that. Yeah. In fact, I have the same story of a kid that's going to be a sophomore for us. He's probably the best athlete to come through the school. Uh, last summer, he was the eighth grader to be freshman. And we were doing some agilities, you know, run through the hurdles, get over the, get through the uh, ladder and then sprint to the wall, touch it and come back. He kind of gave a little bit of half effort. Didn't get through the ladder all the way and jogged about halfway down and turned around and walked back. And I about lost my mind. And, uh, you know, it's 6.45 in the morning and I pulled him aside and I kind of, you know, we nicely explained that that's not how we do it. You know, I, it was a little different there. I didn't, I didn't cuss him out or anything, but um, he, he's a kid that has untapped potential and he absolutely made a huge difference for that team. Uh, the nine ten team we had this year because of the way he plays, but he's got a, um, He's got to figure out that that delicate little balance of I got to work hard all the time. And I saw him text our a former defensive coordinator, who's now now our D line coach, something to that effect today about he's learning that he's got to be excellent on on everything that he does. And that was like, oh, here we go. It's only taken a year, you know. And I, I know we're going to have growing pains this year with whatever we do. But uh, you know, when I had the conversation, we didn't see him for about three days. And so I was telling our staff, I said, well, I may have just ran the best athlete to come through the program uh, out. And he came back and he was good. Um, and then we had to have a little sugar moment, which I think is important. But, yep. you know, that's that's uncomfortable sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But the kids usually respond and that's got to hold them accountable. Well, Coach, attribute number five talks about dream big, believe kids can accomplish great things, and, and fight through adversity. 
So yeah, I'm not sure what's what the makeup of your community is and what type of adversity that you deal with in a, in a daily basis. You know, I, I come from a, a rural community, uh, pretty high social or pretty low, excuse me, socioeconomic. Uh, you know, meatpacking plant Hormel is down here too, like like you have up there. So uh, I can only imagine maybe it's somewhat similar to to your community. Um, so can you talk about some of the adversity that you guys deal with there and, and how you get those kids to actually do those things such as dreaming big and, and believing in each other to accomplish great things? Well, I think, um, dreaming big, you know, I always, I always tell people this, um, when I was, when I was being raised, you know, no one has perfect parents, but I, I, I am a product of very good parenting and, uh, you know, my dad was off working a lot and, and my mom was pretty much a stay at home mom. But there's two things that they did that in retrospect were huge for me. Number one, they, they loved me. I knew they loved me. We never said, I love you very much. You know, my mom was a farm girl and I had one other brother. So it was a lot of, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, emotion going on. And number two, I always knew they believed in me. Like my dad and my mom would always like, even when I go in for a job interview to this day, my mom will say, you're going to get it. You get every, you know, she just, she just speaks that into me. And my dad does the same thing. And I think those attributes have held with me throughout my life, growing up in a town similar to what you were talking about, Dwayne, you know, I grew up in a small town outside of Caledonia, 400 people right on the river, Mississippi river. But this is the stuff that Carl teaches his kids is to dream big. And I think, once again, I'm coming back to the simplicity of it. He talks about it all the time. He talks about who wants to be the next uh, Iowa Hawkeye, you know, like Carl Klug is a famous Caledonian who played for the Hawkeye. Who wants to be the next Minnesota Gopher? Who wants to be at the University of Northern Iowa who takes a lot of their kids? And so he's always preaching that into a town when I went through it in the mid-90s. It, uh, nobody believed that. Nobody believed that we'd produce a Division One football player, one AA football player, even a Division Two football player, for the ma- that matter. And that belief that Carl just instilled in his players and in the, that community—it's second to none. And how did he do that? He just spoke it, spoke life into them. Your words carry weight, and uh, this just goes in with you know constantly telling your kids and being positive with your kids, and then holding them accountable. And, and speaking life into them, um, you know, and then you go back to Caledonia and they believe they can accomplish great things. The other thing is people get out in the world from these programs. I think high school football, I think about why the United States of America is different from any other country in the world. I mean, we're biased. We live here, but you look around and there's no other country like the United States of America. And I think the reason is high school football. I really believe that. Where else do they play high school football? They don't. They don't learn the things that we learn here and go through the adversity that, that we go through here uh, as being part of a football team. And so fighting through that adversity and when you have that adversity and a coach teaches you how to do how to handle that adversity and then believes in you that you can go out and do great things. I think anything is possible. And I remember the story of Zach Grant in here, who is uh, actually lives in in. Um, uh, Cedar Falls and is a former Navy SEAL. And he told me when he was going through buds, there was no way he was going to ring the bell and go back to Caledonia 
and tell Carl Frickty and Ernie Hodges, his strength coach, that he quit. There was no way. So he obviously had that belief instilled in him. And uh, I think, once again, it just goes back to speaking life into people. Wow. Well, and, and, and that, and that comes through getting through tough times with somebody else that you can, you can, you believe that you can do it. Um, in my, my college coach, um, did a really good job, Steve Miller of, um, pressing home how important it was to work hard, uh, together as a team. You, you can hate the coaches, uh, but they're the bigger, the bigger, a why is, is what you're going to get out of it. And you'll see it when you're, when you're there, but you don't, you don't get to see that unless you've gone through it. And that's, and that speaks to the power of the game that we're so lucky to coach, to be honest with you. Um, and so number six coach work harder on yourself than anyone else. Character is King. Uh, that's a big one in high school. Uh, and that's a tough one because, you know, as a middle school teacher myself uh, and a high school football coach, um, you, you often see that the kids who are doing a really good job from an effort standpoint often get ostracized because they're considered tryhards or, um, you know, uh, brown nosers or whatever. Uh, but ultimately, we know when we look at those kids that, man, that kid's got to figure it out and he's going to be successful. And I tell kids when I teach in the first 30 seconds of our warm up job, warm up job, I can tell what kind of year you're going to have just based on the effort you give because I know where your heart is. Mm-hmm. So. What's the message that you have to kids uh, about that and, and how you get past or kids to move past that, that mantra? Yeah. I mean, I look at our most successful teams and they're always high level character and you, you get the kids who are borderline once again, back to urban Myers. And I hope people are picking up uh, uh, some simplicity in all of this Um you know, back to the Urban Meyer book, but those high character kids naturally pull some of those 80 percenters up. And you look at like 2014, we were blessed enough to win a state championship. Every one of those kids was just, just awesome. Did we have some trouble? Yeah. We had a we had kid get caught with a substance, you know, the week of the semifinal state semifinals and that stuff. We're not immune to it, but for the most part, it was high character kids leading and so what we, what we tell our kids and what we will tell our kids at Minnetonka High School is you can only control yourself. Ultimately, that's the point of this one. Work harder on yourself than you do anyone else. I can't work on Dwayne and Tim. That's, that's your job. I can model for you and hope that I inspire you. Uh, but I just control what I control. And this is basic sports psychology, you know, Tim Kite and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's just basic one-on-one stuff. So we teach our kids from day one, control what you can control and lead with character. Why do we want to lead with character? Because I feel like the why is just as important as the preaching. Because we know high character teams are going to maximize the W column, maximize the wins. We know high character team members are going to go out and change the world. We know high character team members are going to go out and be great fathers and, and great students and not waste your money on college and fail out those types of things. So that's why we preach character. And I use the word preach in this book a lot, probably too much. I'm probably a little too preachy, but, uh, it, it's the truth. It, it needs to be heard over and over again in those formative years when kids are ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, where else are they going to hear it? 
Coach, I think it's uh, when you were talking about how sometimes you, you feel like, you know, you're preaching and, and being simplistic. But, uh, you know, just recently I, I took a, a new position uh, and one of the assistant coaches asked me, well, how are you going to build relationships? You know, what's your plan? And, uh, you know, I said, look, I'm not trying to sound flippant or, or too simplistic here, but building relationships, there's no magic pill for it. It just it takes consistency in someone's life and, and building that relationship with them and showing them that you care about them outside of the weight room, the classroom, the football field, all those different things uh, that they do. Um, and, I, and I think you're right in the sense of when you're talking about, you know, how you're uh, going to, you know, get kids to believe and do great things and fight through adversity and all those things is, is through the relationships that you, you know, you build with them to, to make that a strong, make your connection stronger, that, you know, with them. Um, but one of the things I, I'm really interested in learning is because this is something that's you know, I felt like we've done a really good job within in my program is creating the brotherhood between, uh, you know, each other and, and the things you do. And I think I, I, you know, at least I know how I went about doing it, but I'm interested to see if it's it's really veered from from how you do it, because I feel it's really about the, the challenges and the adversity that they go through together. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, Steve Miller, who was on our podcast earlier, talked about how, you know, I you on the line running and you know they're going through something together that sucks mm -hmm. but you know they can be mad at you and me but you know they're going to lean on each other to get through that so uh can you talk about that please yeah Dwayne. i mean i'm not going to add a whole lot to that that was awesome but in the book i uh, quote proverbs 17 17 and it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity adversity not uh not when everything's going great, you know, it's a time of adversity. So in that chapter, I break down all the work they're doing together and, and, and all the hard things they're going through together as a group. Why do you think the Navy SEALs have such a special bond of brotherhood when they get out mm. on the battlefield? It's because they went through literally hell, hell week, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how that's developed. And that doesn't change with a group of men. It, it never will. I don't care. I don't care what any political party tells you or this person tells you or that person tells you. Adversity with a, another man is going to shape that relationship and create a brotherhood. There's no doubt. So you hit the nail right on the head. And I think once you, once you get that brotherhood, you know it. And I love the stories in, in the book about people messing with the brotherhood. That's where it really comes into play. And uh, messing with, you know, a couple guys on the team. And, and Caledonia always gets back the clean way because if, if, if they got a personal foul, that yellow flag means nothing compared to what Coach Frichty is going to talk to them about when they get to the sideline. And I, I, kinda, I tried to operate the same way at West, and it became a non-factor. But, you know, and, and then just once again – talking about playing for the guy next to you, the guy you sweat with, the guy you've worked with. It's really, once again, that simple. Well, I think that's, that's great because, and, and, you know, I'm sure you have stories like this, but the stories that I talk to, you know, my young men about is, you know, when you're in a position like we all are, you know, 20 years past our, our playing time and, you know, 30 for, for Tim, but, uh, <laughs> 
you know, you talk about those moments of brotherhood with each other. Uh, you know, I talk about, I don't talk more about games. I talk about things that happened in the locker room or in the weight room or in a practice than more so, you know, I don't remember every score from, from our senior year. I remember our records, but I don't remember scores and, and things like that. But I remember the, the trials and tribulations and the adversity that we went through as a team and how we, you know, reacted to that and, and just special moments that just kind of, whether it's goofing on each other in a, in a friendly way in the locker room or, or something like that. And, and that's what I always took away from my time playing. Yeah, absolutely. And that creates the brotherhood as well, you know, going through hard times and then decompressing in, in the, in the locker room and, and uh, having fun with the guys. And hopefully that culture, you know, they're hanging out on the weekends and keeping each other accountable and that type of thing. And, you know, just to summarize before we get to this last one, you know, for people who are listening, who are trying to change any type of culture, I just want to encourage them to hold the line. You know, I think we've, I think this simplifies what you need to do and hopefully it edifies what you're already doing, or you can make changes that you need to, to do the things that are going to change the culture, but it's not going to happen in a year or two years. Sometime it's going to take time. So hold the line, I think is the most important, um, words of wisdom I can have for a struggling leader. And I know some of us are going through those types of things too, right now, and we're going to hold the line. And well, I, that's what we're going I to think do. it only, I think it only really takes one person when you talk about holding each other accountable, like for players, all, of, I think it really, that kind of stuff spreads like wildfire. And so when you have one player that's willing to step up and say like, Hey guys, this is no longer acceptable. This is what this is a standard that we need to hit. Mm -hmm. Then that kind of that stuff becomes contagious. And I don't know if you experienced that within your program or not. Yeah, absolutely. It was contagious to where kids self-police. That's the culture we want to create. Every coach wants to create is a self-policing culture. And I, here's here's the thing that I think goes along with that, guys, is we as coaches have to be ready when success comes. And I allude to this in the book. When success comes, we, we had to do the work on ourselves and on our own character so we can hold on to success. Because if we don't have the character and we haven't done the work on ourselves to make ourselves better people, and I don't mean better people in an egotistical way, just better human beings, uh, success is going to slip from our grasp. And we're going to say those were the good old days when we had those two really good seasons back to back. But if you can hold on to that and create a self-policing culture and, and hold on to it when it comes, that's when it snowballs and really spreads like wildfire. Like you said, Dwayne. So take us into that last point then coach. Yeah. So the last point is use this stuff in life. It's just a way to culminate those first seven. And really, I think ultimately what are we doing here as a part of a team if we're not going to go out and use this stuff in life to make the world a better place. So we could come in and win football games and go out and destroy the world, but what is that doing? It's doing absolutely nothing. And there's a lot of teams that do that and uh, use that negative ego and negative pride in, in the wrong ways when they're, when they're winning football games or being successful. So we want to go out and use all these attributes that led to our success and change the world in a positive way. And I tell stories of that in the book, a doctor and, and, you know, various other people that came out of Caledonia that are doing what they do because of what they learned through football. And I know I have stories at Mankato West. I know you guys have stories too. Every coach does 
but let's produce as many of these as we can and let's teach these guys to go out and be great husbands and be be great um, members of their community and do the very best at their job and if, if they're upset with their job do the very best and find another one but don't don't feel sorry for yourself stuff like that so that's the culminating point it puts everything together is uh, go out and, and apply this stuff whether it's at uh, in a team or in a business or wherever it is. Well, and the skills are just so applicable to everything. And, you know, I don't know of any other arena that you can get everything that you've talked about. Um, no, granted it's a time-based deal, right? You don't just don't get these in because you walk in as a freshman and go, Hey, I play football. You have to, you have to get into it and, and, and deal with it and go through the off season and, and have the peaks and the valleys. Um, but there's, there's no better life training ground. And I, I think that's why, you know, we're so passionate, um, you know, at least Dwayne and I are for doing this kind of podcast and why having guys like you on are so valuable to spread um, not only just the, the knowledge of the game, but the joy that comes through the work. Um, I, I think you and I both talked last week that, you know, the, the perfect season last will uh, last year, if you will, um, you know, uh, we won't talk about the other side of that is, uh, is where you get hardened and you, and you find out who you are and what you're made of and from your staff. And, you know, I, I'm excited and empowered for, for the things that I've learned and, and taking from that. And, and your book in particular has really inspired me because, um, when, when you and I spoke, you said Carl Fichte's hardest years were year four, five, and six, and I'm going into year five. And my vision is to change this community. And, uh, and then, um, you know, I, I, I you, you kind of forget what that is at times, you know, like, cause you, well, we're not supported here. We don't have enough kids doing this. And, but then, then you think, okay, think how that community has changed because one man decided that he was going to be persistent and stay true to who he is. And there were times when I'm sure he looked in the mirror and talked with his wife and staff. He said, I don't know if I can do this, you know, uh, but he did, and and he was blessed for it. He finished. He's finishing the race, if you will. Mm-hmm. But we're, we don't know when we don't know when that time's going to be, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely right. You don't want to quit when you're three feet from gold, right? Uh, you're going to yeah. break gold and change a community. Absolutely. And, and in that book, I you know that one epiphany moment for him is uh, he was he was got emotional in his, in the locker room in a December lonely December day, and he. He said, you know what, you know, Jesus didn't win over all the souls and people chose free will, chose to go a different direction. He's like, I'm not going to get, I'm not Jesus. So I'm not going to get everybody to follow me. I'm just going to hold the line. I'm going to do what I'm doing. And eventually this is going to work out just having that faith. So, um, it was a great epiphany moment for him. It is. Um, so coach, when, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, you. You mentioned uh, Urban Meyer's book, "Above the Line." Uh, you know, I guess what is a, a must-have on your reading list, or maybe something that uh, you know you've you currently are reading. You know, obviously your book is is on our reading list. Uh, you know, so that's obviously one that uh, we'll we'll throw out there. But uh, didn't know if there was something that was impactful uh, to you that you think uh, some of our listeners should check out if they have an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. So I was thinking about that. My favorite author of all times, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this name, Andy Andrews. He wrote a book called The Traveler's Gift, which is an amazing book. And um, The Noticer, uh, 
and really anything by Andy Andrews is amazing. I would go back and get his earliest works first if it's something you want to read. Uh, you can also Google him. Uh, he'll show up on YouTube, and uh, he's a great speaker. And he also doubled as a, um, a comedian, too, so he's really entertaining. But uh, Andy Andrews has had a huge influence on, on what I do. He is a, a Bama fan, so we won't hold that against him. But yeah. we can all learn stuff from Alabama. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I was thinking about what am I currently reading. Well, I just finished a book. I'm a World War II history buff, and um, I like the firsthand accounts. So I read Red Blood, Black Sand by um, Chuck Tatum. Hmm. And uh, I just love to read about the brotherhood in the military, especially during that time. I feel like that was probably the most just war that we've ever fought. And um, an amazing book. Um, I'm rereading Legacy. And, uh, for the second time, because I really, I really want to apply those principles to, uh, to, um, my team or my life, you know, and all that stuff as we get moving here. And then, uh, David versus Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell mm. is one I'm currently reading. So I've read, you know, Urban Meyer and all those, probably a lot of the same books that you guys have read. Um, but, uh, that's what I'm currently reading. I've read a couple Malcolm Gladwell books and, and they're really good. And as a football coach, you can take something out of any book you read, you know, maybe not some of those fruity books, but you know, from a world war two book, you can take a lot of stuff out and share it with your team. Number one is be thankful for what you have. Absolutely. You're, and you're talking to a, a social studies teacher here. So you're after my own heart here when you talk about, uh, you know, our greatest generation and, and books uh, about World War Two. It's uh, they're, they're high on my list as well. But, uh, you know, I think when, um, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for the time that you, you, you've spent with us, coach. I mean, I feel that, you know, I've got notes here that, uh, you know, and I can't wait to actually get your book in hand so I can dive into it because I think there's so many things that, uh, just listening to you uh, talk about your attributes that definitely apply to the things that, uh, you know, we're trying to do in our program. Yeah. Appreciate those, those words. Do you mind if I share with the listeners where to pick up the book? No, please do. Okay. Absolutely. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's very simple. You can order it on Amazon. It's rise of the warriors by Mark Ash, or there's a website that you can go to. There's some reviews on there and some some other information. It's just www.riseofthewarriorsbook.com. So it's riseofthewarriorsbook.com. Very simple, click through. How do you spell your last name, Coach, and how can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, great. Uh, my last name is spelled E-S-C-H. And so Mark with a K, E-S-C-H. And I got to look up my Twitter handle, guys. I don't. I, Come on now. <laughs> yeah. It's at Coach Esh 2019. At Coach Esh 2019. And there's also uh, at Rise of the Warriors book on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook as well. Awesome. And if, well, as, as, we, uh, as we get ready to close it up, Coach, what are, what are some of the parting thoughts that you would have You've shared some really great things with us, but is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to leave with the people listening on this podcast today? You know, I think the the biggest things we've really talked about, and uh, I don't want to go back and, and rehash them, but um, my encouragement again, once again, is don't quit, hold the line. 
decide what you want to do, stay on the track, don't give up and, you know, work harder on yourself than, than anybody else. Get out there, do the hard things and hold the line, keep moving forward and brighter days are ahead, especially in the times we're in now. Just have faith. Brighter days are ahead. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, Coach Esch, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, tune in to our next podcast uh, in another week or so, and we'll have another great guest. Coach Esch, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also, check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night.